0: Hello. And welcome to The Mastering Show. My name is Ian Shepherd. I'm a mastering engineer and I run the production advice website aimed at helping you get better results recording, mixing and mastering your music. And with me again this week is John Tidy from RevaBlog.net, who I understand is ill again.
1: Yes, a separate illness, but it's good to be here. Uh, Good to hear you again, Ian. And uh, thank you listeners for putting up with my sickness.
0: I actually can't hear it this week at all, Um, so whatever pills you're taking are doing the job.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was way worse.
0: Anyways. Good. Okay, well, I'm glad you're you're feeling uh, mildly alive. So the original title for this episode was going to be MP3 ACC OGG ETC OMG, (laughs) but John told me that was too gimmicky, so we went with the more straightforward version. But the reason for that is that we are talking about lossy audio data encoding again. And I said that very carefully because I'm going to try and be very careful not to refer to it as lossy compression because of the potential confusion between the different types of compression. There's data compression, crunching numbers to make smaller file sizes for streaming and to go on portable media players, and there's dynamic compression uh using compressors where you're controlling the loud and soft passages of the audio and we did a whole episode on that already that was episode 36 so if all of that sounds confusing because you've just picked this uh, show out of the the ether then head back and maybe listen to that one first because if nothing else it's got a really bizarre analogy in it to try and explain the difference um so you might be asking well why do we need another show on lossy data encoding and the answer is because of some tests that i've been doing recently that i thought i found them interesting i thought you guys would find them interesting as well um we'll come to that in a minute and also tell you how to to do those tests yourself but briefly those acronyms that i was talking about you have mp3 which is i think the oldest popular uh lossy data encoding algorithm <laughs> um Oh, that's a real mouthful, isn't it?
1: One for music, yeah. JPEG is probably older than than uh, MP3s for lossy encoding. But other than that, you you don't really think about other than video or you know audio, video, and images. You don't really think about lossy encoding. Are PDFs lossless? I'm not even sure.
0: Well, PDFs can be PDFs contain images which can be JPEGs or they can be PNGs, which are lossless. So, and actually, I mean, you mentioned JPEGs even older than the first kind of lossy data compression thing that I know about was a GIF. Um, And the funny thing is that GIFs were like, used to be the only thing that you could use online because they only had 256 colors. So they were tiny. And then JPEGs came along and blew them out of the water. And now they've come back again (laughs) and they're animated. Um, But um, yeah, so, so all of these uh, codecs are data formats that do the same for audio as, as GIF and JPEGs do for images um and yeah i think mp3 is well mp3 is the oldest one that's been in popular use there were it's a subset of the mpeg algorithm and mpeg 2 is used on dvds um, but i think it's slightly more primitive than that the 3 in it refers to layer 3 or something it, it all gets very dull and i lose interest to be honest but, but um aac which is what is used in itunes uh by apple is more advanced than mp3s you get better results at the same or lower data rates and actually you get better results overall in my opinion uh and then you have og which is used by spotify which i've never kind of done a real head to head comparison of these formats and actually we'll see in a little while why that probably doesn't make much sense but my personal preference has has been for aac which is used by itunes rather than the streams that Spotify uh, supplies. But that's probably not based on anything sensible. Do, do you have any instinct about that, John? You, or do you just not care?
1: I used to really care. I used to only use flack for a couple of years. I, I would I would rip my CDs as flack uh, mm-hmm. because then it's lossless. Um, but it was MP3 before that, and I could hear some of the differences in some situations or where it was just clearly bad and uh and and now i just stream everything on uh apple music and i don't care it, it's the convenience it's the not having to load a cd it's all those things like having my library or anything that i'm interested in hearing instantly on my phone or computer uh that that's better than everything i don't i don't care anymore <laughs> too old
0: <laughs> <laughs> i agree although the tests that i'm going to start talking about in a second maybe have changed my mind ever so slightly i mean one thing that i will say is that the the aac files that you get from itunes i think are 256 kilobits per second and i think the premium stream on spotify is 320 kilobits per second both of those are only throwing away roughly two-thirds of the original data which seems Um, like a lot
1: it really seems
0: it seems like a lot but it's they those streams are twice the bandwidth of the the kind of the hundred and twenty eight kilobits per second signals that we we used to use back in the early days of MP3 and AAC, and yes. Um and at those kind of data rates you really can do a pretty decent job of encoding the audio. So at that point the kind of you know comparing one format with another and, and worrying about these things probably gets uh even more moot. Can you be more moot than anyway. <laughs> um So yeah, I've mentioned these tests a few times and these are the reason I thought it'd be fun to do another episode. So the first one that came up was, uh, I just did a YouTube video talking about uh, Billie Eilish, who of course is huge news at the moment um, with her number one album and a ton of excitement around her music and the, the, the fans and all the rest of it. And it was prompted by a debate on Facebook where people were saying, Uh, The song Zanny, in particular, was insanely loud and damaged and distorted as a result, which, you know, I've been there before, didn't particularly interest me. But I did get curious and took a listen, and sure enough, it has RMS levels on it that go right up to zero. So there is literally no difference between the peak and the RMS level at some points. But when I ran the song through the loudness penalty... Analyze a website to see what would happen to it uh, online, what the streaming services would estimate its loudness at, and how much they would turn it down. Because people were saying, this thing is just going to get turned way down. It's crazy. Why did they master it that way? Uh, what I found was that actually it doesn't get turned down a huge amount, um, and that the streaming services don't judge it to be super loud. And that kind of got me interested. So I ended up doing a video about it. And Anybody who is interested to see that, we will put a link to it in the show notes at themasteringshow.com and you can take a look. The, the reason I'm mentioning it here in this show is that I began to wonder whether part of the reason that people were reacting badly to the sound of it was not only the super loud sound and the processing that had been done to it probably as part of the mix process, but also whether some of that was due to the fact that they were probably listening to it on Apple Music or YouTube or wherever, and it had been through a lossy data compression codec. And the way that I tested that was by doing some null tests, which I will describe in a minute. Um, but if you own either there's a Sonox encoding preview application, New Gen Master Check will let you preview MP3 AC, AAC and uh, OGG, a variety of different streaming codecs um, in real time. Ozone 7, I think, advanced, introduced an encode checker so that you could preview AAC and MP3. And Wavelab has an encode checker. So all of these will enable you to experiment with what we're talking about in this episode for yourself in real time, which is a really interesting thing. And one of the most useful things is the ability to listen to the null signal, the difference signal. But before we talk about that, we should probably explain what a null test is. Uh, John.
1: Okay, so a null test is where you take two signals. One is is known to be high quality, or, or and the other one is where something has changed. And so an, a common one would be... Um, In a mixing situation this is often where where someone has sent uh two files and they're they don't have labels done right and you import them and you don't know if if they're supposed to be left and right signals or if they're supposed to be if it's a duplicate of the same thing and so you play both together and you polarity invert one of them so the waves go down instead of up um you know opposite of the other original signal and If you hear anything that means that there is a difference and it could be 0.001 difference in volume um, or it could be eq or it could be dynamics processing or any number of things but if there's any sound coming out at all that means that there's a difference between the two files it doesn't necessarily tell you which one has the difference in it just that between those two files there is a difference if you want to do this on your own you take two sounds that are similar You polarity invert one of them, and then you're listening to just the difference between the two. So, for example, I'll do that with our theme song. I'll take the original WAV file and then a very low-quality MP3 file, and you'll hear the difference.
0: Exactly, because the MP3 encoding, all of these lossy encoding systems, work by basically slicing the audio up into... A lot of different frequency bands, maybe 30 or 60 different frequency bands, and then trying to decide which of those are the most important. Um, They use this thing called perceptual coding, where they try and estimate which elements of the original sound are the most important to uh, creating the sound that we hear, and which ones can be discarded without changing the sound too much. So when you do the null test, what you hear is everything that has been discarded. Yeah. Um, and typically, it kind of sounds a bit like <laughs> something like that. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was an excellent description of how this works, John. The only thing I would say for anybody trying to do this is you need to be careful that the two files that you're testing are perfectly time aligned.
1: Yeah. Even a sample off can ruin it.
0: Exactly. Um, even a sample difference. Uh, yeah. Can you'll then hear something that isn't because there's a genuine difference between the two files um it's because you've got this little sample offset because now the waves aren't perfectly cancelling out um and just to kind of make sure it's completely clear if you have two files that are identical let's to use john's example say you have two files that are labeled differently and you're not sure if they're supposed to be the same or not if you polarity invert one of them flip the phase um is another way to say that and play it back simultaneously to the original and there's no signal at all meaning the digital meter's read absolutely nothing uh then you can be sure that they're absolutely identical um and you can use whichever one you like so it's a a really powerful technique for investigating whether two things are the same or different and you can get an idea if you're careful of the kind of thing you might be listening for so just for example if you listen to the null signal the difference signal Uh, between the two files and you just hear tiny little trebly that kind of stuff then you know that one of the files has slightly more or slightly less treble than the other or potentially both (laughs) if you imagine an EQ curve where you've got a dip at 5k and a boost at 10k um, the dip is on one version of the file and the boost is on the other when you null test those two files against each other you will hear both sets of differences so you'll hear a bit of activity at 5k and 10k but you've got no way of knowing which file that difference applied to and that's the thing that you have to be careful with uh just because you've proved something is different doesn't necessarily mean that it's better or worse however in the case of testing lossy data encoding we can be absolutely sure that the encoded file is not as good as the original because By definition, the original has all of the information, the encoded file has less information, therefore it is inferior. Whether it's audibly inferior or not is another interesting question. So if you want to do the kind of thing that I did with the Billie Eilish video, where you're comparing the encoded version of a file with the original, you can use one of these tools, or you can do a testing code and line them up in your DAW and flick between them yourself, and it's a really interesting experiment. So the first thing I'm going to talk about that it reveals is you're actually fairly unlikely to be a problem. When a codec does the encoding, the filtering to split the audio signal up into all those discrete frequency bands and then analyze them, decide which ones to throw away, inevitably causes changes in the waveform. Uh, you put all of this heavy-duty filtering on and most people know if you've ever tried putting a low-cut filter for example on a piece of audio that was already peaking at zero you will start to see peaks above zero Um, that's because the shape of the waveform has been changed because of the processing involved in the filter and the phase changes that it causes it changes the peak level that's not necessarily a problem when the file is encoded because the encoded file it's not strictly speaking floating point as is used in our uh digital audio workstations, but it's, uh, um, I guess, a, a slightly crude form of floating point, if you like. Certainly, it's possible to encode files that have peak levels above zero and decode them safely without causing any clipping, but most decoders currently will clip the file immediately that it's decoded. So, you decode the file in floating point, which retains the peak information, but then Uh, For convenience and processing speed and to avoid problems further down the line, many decoders will immediately clip the signal. Now, I don't have confirmation of this, but I'm pretty confident that iTunes is one of the few decoders that doesn't do that. Um, But I'm also fairly confident that Spotify is one that does that. Um, There are two reasons for that. One is the the guidelines that they give on the website – For supplying audio which we'll come back to in a minute and the other one is this test that I did. So I played back the Billie Eilish song in the video twice. I recorded it from Spotify once without normalization so the song played at full volume I had the volume control all the way up then I played it back again with normalization which reduced the level by a few dBs because the song was a little bit louder than their reference level. Now, if all of that had happened without causing any clipping anywhere, you would expect those two uh, versions of the song to null out completely, apart from maybe some very, very low-level hiss, because they would be identical. That's not what happened. What I actually got was clicky, gritty distortion in the null signal. So the the music cancelled out completely, and you can hear these kind of spiky, uh, unpleasant clipping distortion effects. So that tells us that somewhere in the system, Spotify is causing some clipping. And logically, it has to be when the file is played back at full level. There's no reason that it would clip when it's been turned down by the normalization. So Spotify obviously is causing some kind of clipping at the decode if you don't have normalization enabled. That sounds like quite a nerdy point to make. Of course, normalization is the process of just turning down loud songs so that we don't get blasted by loud ones, and it comes enabled by default in Spotify. But ironically, it's exactly the kind of problem you're going to run into if you're a nerdy music fan, because some people are annoyed by normalisation and say, I want to hear everything exactly as it was intended by the artist. So they disable the normalisation feature in Spotify. The songs get played back at full level, and if they're controlling their monitoring gain at the amp instead of in the Spotify player that song is going to get played back with extra clipping distortion that wasn't there in the original file before it was encoded. Okay, that was quite a long explanation. Did I get through it intact, John?
1: <laughs> okay, so someone decides to turn off normalization. A song is playing that is very loud or it's prone to these sorts of uh inter-sample peaking because of decoding, or lossy encoding. And when it's decoded through the streaming, it has clipping on it that wasn't in the original file, and it wasn't necessarily part of the encoding, but just the fact that it's decoded, not floating point. Is that correct?
0: That's correct. I think actually it probably is decoded floating point, but then they immediately reduce it to fixed bit depth. So I'm not sure whether that would be 16 or 24-bit. But yes, uh, the decoder is uh, taking the decoded signal and uh, flattening it down to a fixed bit depth. And that causes clipping um, in some cases. Um, So that's effect number one that people need to be aware of. And we've we've talked about that before, but I think it's worth bringing that up again. Yeah, sloppage room was your term for it, wasn't it? (laughs) Something like that,
1: yeah. My analogy was if you have a coffee cup, You can't fill it up right to the top, um, like right to the edge of the cup, because you need room for cream and sugar. You need room for stirring it. You need room for it to wobble around as you're carrying it to your desk. So um, the same thing goes with mastering music. Leave a little bit of room. Uh, You can master it. It could still be loud. It could still be, you know, powerful. All these things. Leave one dB or so for encoding, for streaming playback, both for encoding it as a lossy format and for playing it back without adding clipping. And I don't think there's any difference on playback in terms of loudness, you know, doing it that way, you know, rather than having it clipped and sounding terrible, having artifacts in it and playing it back like that. Absolutely. gross.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and that's the other point that that I mentioned earlier is On the one hand, you've got a test like this, which seems to show that this clipping can happen in Spotify if you have normalisation disabled. Then you also have the guidelines that they released fairly recently kind of suggesting best practices for uploading music to the system. And one of those recommendations is that you keep the peak levels exactly to minus one true peak or below. The really interesting thing is that they say that if your music is going to be louder and they use the reference point of minus 14, but I think uh, that's a fairly conservative estimate. Certainly, if the music is pushing up to kind of minus 12, minus 10 LUFS, uh, then they recommend that you leave two dBs of peak headroom to make absolutely sure that none of this uh, clipping on decode can happen. Um, And again, I think that's pretty clear evidence that this is an issue with Spotify at the moment. Um, and I, I can't name names, but I've been reliably informed that actually there are many other places in the industry where this kind of thing happens. And actually, there's one thing I can say uh, is that if you import an MP3 into Logic or Pro Tools, um, and I think a few other DAWs as well, those will reduce the file to fixed bit depth and uh, bake in the clipping, if you like. So that's the first point the second part of the experiment that you can do the second uh bit of the null test is to listen carefully to that to the encoding artifacts to the <laughs> kind of noises that you uh you get and that uh you can do with an, a null test or if you have new or ozone they both have a button in the interface that you can click to listen to the null test in real time uh it won't reveal any clipping because all of their processing is done at floating point Um, but you can listen to the encoding artifacts. And that's a pretty ear-opening exercise in my experience because, you know, most people, you listen to the original file, you listen to the encoded file, you think, yeah, that's pretty good. The fascinating thing, I think, is when you've listened to the null test for a while, then if you start flicking between the unencoded and the encoded stream, suddenly you start to be able to hear the, the artifacts much more clearly in the encoded stream I and mean, we we all know about the kind of the uh swirling electronic birdies <laughs> um of poor mp3 compression uh you know that kind of the, the slightly metallic quality to the top end um and yeah this kind of <whistles> kind of thing that happens um but the more modern codecs especially aac and ogg that are used by spotify and apple uh are much less susceptible to those kind of blatant problems. Um, and what you hear instead well the 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 one that surprised me most was the extent to which the stereo width is reduced so you know anybody can do this test you take your take an audio file encode it with an audio format of your choosing um make it easy on yourself go for a fairly low bit rate like maybe 128 kilobits per second to start with then just line them up in a daw and flick between them and listen to the stereo width uh, and This is the second example recently that kind of caught my attention and has gave me the idea for this episode, is that I had just mastered a kind of an indie rock concept album, really, with ludicrous amounts of reverb. I mean, fantastically ludicrous. It was kind of these amazing kind of spacey, floaty vocals at certain points, and just this kind of cloud of space that kind of hung around you know it was one of those things where the the vocalist would sing a word and it would kind of hang there for seconds it was like we've been performed in a cathedral or something uh and you run that through 128 kilobit per second AAC or ogg stream and you could just hear the image narrow as you go from one to the other you know that kind of the the outer phase stuff that kind of makes you feel like maybe sounds are coming from outside of the speakers that just gets eaten alive by these codecs. And that's it makes sense. That's because most music, you know, guitar, bass, drums, mono, pan, straight down the middle, that's the important stuff. That's what the codecs prioritise first. Um, what I found is that if you step it down to a kind of a 96 kilobits per second stream, which is what typically is used on mobile devices, if you're listening to Apple Music or Spotify on the go on a phone, it's it's extreme. It's almost like they've hit a mono button. It doesn't literally happen without. If you if you have a, an instrument that's clearly panned left or right, it will retain most of that information. But in terms of the reverb and the space around the sounds and all the rest of it, it just completely collapses into the center. It's it's a really fascinating test.
1: You lose a lot of the the side signal, I think.
0: Exactly. Yes. Um. Yeah. It's it's almost like you'd kind of convert it to mid and side or sum and difference. Um, and we did a show on this topic as well, which will melt your brains if you want to listen to it. We'll put the uh, link in the show notes. Um, Yeah, it's almost like somebody has just kind of pulled down a fader in the sides, to be honest. Um, So that's that's ear-opening and is the first thing to listen to. But the other fascinating thing is uh, it's it's a slightly tricky concept to talk about. So you have the original file, which is full quality, and then you encode it and you throw away two thirds or nine tenths of the original information and you end up with something that still sounds pretty much like the original file but when you listen to the difference signal and kind of really tune into what it sounds like and then flick between those two when you hear the encoded signal it's basically like hearing the original signal plus the distortion of the difference signal so to do this you would have to set up a example, either using one of the encoder checkers or a homemade null test so that you can hear the different signal, listen to it carefully, and then start flicking between the original signal and the encoded signal. And my experience is the encoded signal starts to sound like the original plus the distortion of the different signal, which seems to kind of fly against what I was saying earlier about you not being able to tell from a null test where the problem is. But it's actually literally true. Even though the different signal is the result of taking something away, the final result is like adding distortion to the original signal. And because we know which one is right, we can say with confidence that that's exactly what's happening. Running it through the encoder and decoding it is adding a substantial amount of distortion to the signal. And when you start to hear it that way, again, it's really enlightening to, you know, I had not thought about it in that way until fairly recently. Um, and maybe there are people listening going, well, duh, obviously. Um, but I think it's it's an interesting way of testing these uh, algorithms and trying to tune into what they're doing. And it it really does change your perspective on whether a lossy encoded stream is good enough or not. Did that make any sense?
1: It's a bit confusing. <laughs> I get it. But it is a bit confusing.
0: It's really hard to do without uh, without drawing pictures. Um, the distortion that's added is
1: is there because things are taken away. Correct. I don't know, like like using um, a Photoshop tool to remove the background, and you get le- the little fuzzy things, or like around the hair and things like that, where you can't make a selection correctly. That sort of thing.
0: Actually, that's a great example. Yes. The slightly jagged edges that you get around things. So, yeah, you've taken something away from the image and you've introduced distortion to what's left. Yeah. Great way of putting it. I should have said that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like if you have a a grayscale with with a thousand values between black and white, and you replace it with a grayscale that's 50 levels between white and black... But the foreground is still the same in front of it. You're going to notice something.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think actually we could go back to, if we think about JPEG encoding, because everybody knows about those kind of, the the funny little ripply edges that you get around uh, the edges of sharp edges in a JPEG. When you save a copy
1: of a copy of a copy?
0: Especially when you do that, yeah. (laughs) So you're adding distortion to the image and you end up with something that looks like the final result, but it's just adding distortion. And that's what's happening to the audio. You start off with the lossy, Stuff and it's adding all this kind of mulchy, swirly stuff and crushing up the the, the stereo image and uh, possibly adding clearing distortion, all the, all the rest of it. It's just adding distortion into the signal.
1: I'm going to go slightly off topic, but that reminds me of uh, a lot of the AI produced images that I've seen, and mm-hmm. there's always that sort of like really nasty, like blurry, sort of distorted part of, to the image and I always wonder if that is that is what the machine learned from and so it produces that because you, you know probably feed it uh, a whole bunch of images that are probably jpegs and probably lossy and have all these little artifacts in them and then does it produce something with those artifacts or is is it just because we see the result as a low quality jpeg that it looks like that
0: or is it the result the inevitable conclusion of kind of combining the different aspects the kind of the different if it's got a sort of a blob of one image and a blob of another and it's building them together that's that's interesting i have no idea there's probably somebody at google who could tell us the answer to that
1: i i love those sort of things where you can um you draw a happy face and it fills it in with sort of like a kind of like a a painting or even photorealistic version of that face but it's horrifying because it's it's like it's ai generated and it's just like you know taking thousands of images and putting them together into a, a thing that resembles what you drew it's horrifying i hate it but i love it, it, it it's so disgusting to look at
0: <laughs> i
1: think I we're gonna, gonna have to
0: edit it. this uh, i think we're gonna have to edit this out because i think you've just invented the next million dollar plugin. <laughs> imagine having a plugin that would do that for audio you give an AI, give the plugin an ai you play it a ton of or it's just grabs pulls in a load of audio off of the internet then you feed it a sound and it goes oh that sounds a little bit like this so i'm going to do this to it that would be a serious dsp mangling thing
1: <laughs> yeah that would be that'd be nuts i can't even imagine what it would look like or sound like I mean,
0: I can't, but I'd like to try
1: I've got, anyway. I've got some pretty nasty stuff for uh, mangling <laughs> audio.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's somehow nicer with it. I mean, one of the nice things about the AI images is that you're not in control of them, isn't it? It's like, it's just this kind of wild, it's like some insane genius sort of splattering photographs at a canvas.
1: I, I saw something yesterday. It was uh, like a webcam of a person's face. And as they as they move their mouth and stuff, an AI-generated image of buildings is produced that matches the facial expressions.
0: Oh, you're going to have to link me up with that. And we're probably going to have to put it in the show notes. I saw one, I'm, I don't have a link for this, but I'm pretty sure it was, uh, it just put kind of little sharp faces of animals with sharp teeth all over things. It's kind of whenever it saw you know kind of slightly triangular shapes in the original image so you'd have a picture of a person and they would just have all these little animal heads with biting or maybe that was a nightmare i had
1: (laughs) anyway the the google deep mind things are are often like that um very psychedelic weird stuff
0: i i I now want to hear the audio equivalent quite badly (laughs) (laughs) um Okay, so all of this is deeply confusing and possibly not coming across via speech on a podcast. The good news is that that's okay, because actually it's pretty easy to avoid all of this stuff. And if you've been paying attention, you'll already know what the rules are. A couple of people kind of commented on this in-depth analysis that I did of the Billie Eilish song, and I, I felt in the comments that I had to explain that that's not what I do when I'm mastering. Um you know it's it's a useful way of explaining to somebody what's happening and to demonstrating to them why things might sound the way that they sound but we don't have to do null tests and we shouldn't be doing null tests whilst mastering and i don't think we should be listening to things through lossy encoders either because i mean there is a there's a kind of a A worldview that says that maybe we should be optimizing audio to survive these codecs better. So, if you have a codec that is pulling out the stereo space in your image, maybe you should add extra stereo width going in to compensate for that. There's a certain amount of logic to that. And I think if a client particularly requested it, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't do that. But the reality is, we don't know what's going to happen to our audio when it gets out there in the world. We don't know what data rate it's going to be compress that so do, do you optimize the stereo width for 128 kilobits per second or for 256 kilobits per second or for 96 kilobits per second um there's also i haven't had a chance to look into this but somebody uh, emailed me just recently commenting that they had two versions of the same song and they'd used different limiters to try and a- uh, achieve the final loudness and they preferred one of them but when they put the signal through uh, an encoding checker To see how the encoded streams would sound they changed their opinion they the their opinion about which one sounded better swapped when listening to the encoded versions what do you do in that situation do you optimize for well my answer is always that you optimize for the lossless version that's the master um all of these lossy data encoded versions are just byproducts and and i think they're temporary you know they'll be around for another five maybe 10 years and then everything will be lossless and there'll be nothing but a a distant memory thank goodness um but so yeah personally i don't think optimizing for these codecs makes much sense but it i do think it's good to be aware of them and to understand how they work if only so that we can talk to our clients sensibly about them If you want to avoid these problems yourself, John already mentioned rule number one, which is to keep your true peak levels uh, to minus one or less. Uh, That's not a guarantee, but it is a good rule of thumb. The true peak level gives you some idea of what might happen after encoding, um, and the minus one gives you a little bit of extra sloppage room for uh, lower data rates. The other thing to do is to keep your overall loudness within sane limits. The harder you push the overall loudness of the signal up against the limiter or the clipper or whatever it is that you're processing, you're using to control the peak level, the denser the audio signal gets and the harder it is for the encoder to do a good job. As always, you don't want to be too dynamic. That's almost as bad as being not dynamic enough but finding that perfect balance that we've talked about many times in the show. Luckily, all of these codecs were designed by testing them on real music. So they have been optimized to make real music sound great. And a lot of the testing and optimization went on in the early 90s when the Loudness Wars had not hit the levels that they did around the year 2000. So if you have your dynamics balanced and in the sweet spot there's a good chance the codec is going to be able to do a great job of encoding it and you're going to get great results did i miss anything no i don't think so moderate loudness
1: peaks no higher than minus one true peak. there you go nice and simple nice and easy do you think that billy eilish song actually was too dynamic in in the you know between the verse and the chorus
0: well, it's interesting. That, that's a really good question. Um,
1: s- it's a very interesting effect. O- on studio monitors, that effect when it comes into the the chorus, I guess I would call it, is like 3D. And it's extremely uncomfortable, but very cool at the same time. It, it's like when you're... If, if you've ever been in a car with just massive subs and like everything's just blown out because of the amount of bass it's that but at any level that i i don't think i've heard that in in kind of like a studio recording i've only heard that on playback where it sounds like you know too much bass or you know it sounds weird but
0: i don't know well so there's there's two different two different questions there right you said do you do you think do i think the dynamic contrast between the verse and the chorus is too much, so I'm going to put a pin in that and come back to it in a second. Um, and then there's the effect you're talking about. I mean, there's yes, there's actually a ton of processing happening in the uh, in Zanny when the bass comes in. so the the voice has some kind of it's almost like an autopan effect. It kind of flutters from side to side in the stereo image, mm-hmm. and there's some clipping distortion in there on the bass and the voice, and it's kind of timed you're exactly right, so that it feels as though it's the bass that's blowing the thing out um it's, I mean, it's like heard an that amplitude
1: of, modular modulator i think
0: yeah exactly um and i have heard that kind of well not so much the amplitude modulation but i have heard that kind of the clipping the kind of blowing out effect um but usually in much more aggressive genres or in stuff where the loudness has been pushed to insane levels but spoiler alert for the video actually the loudness of this i don't think is insane it is really loud and it's probably a couple of dbs louder than i would have chosen to master it, but everybody knows that I'm an extremist. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's it would be perfectly possible to do a clean master of that track at that loudness if that was the goal. And the fascinating thing is that after releasing the video, a few people got in touch with me and said, oh, hey, here are some interviews with uh, Phineas, who is Billy's brother who co-wrote and recorded and engineered mm-hmm. the album with her. Um, and he has... Uh, been quoted as saying all of this is deliberate it's very carefully constructed which you know I think you can tell
1: I think you can tell that exactly because everything else is like really really cleanly recorded like nice sounding it's got like a interesting vibe like like you can tell that they're really talented and they're very meticulous about how they do things but it's just so different and I'm kind of surprised that this you know that this sort of almost experimental music as, as as big as it is right now. Well,
0: I think that's what's cool about it. As I was going to say, I have heard it in some other genres, but it, to hear it in kind of what is effectively mainstream pop, um, I think is really cool and, and fits in really well with just what they're doing, you know, because uh-huh. it, it it is, it's pop with a dark, with a twisted edge to it, you know. Um, and so, yeah, so so that's part one. I think there's definitely... That's creative decisions happening there, um, rather than, as the original debate on Facebook was going, poor mastering. Um,
1: I, I, I think I could pull it back a couple, dB. Exactly. You know, it would still be very effective.
0: Yeah, there are other loud moments on the album where I'm just thinking, actually, this is just, it just, yeah, I think it would, yeah, it would have sounded just as good and maybe it would have sounded nicer. You could never tell because we haven't heard... The original source but that's just oh. my instinct but the other question you asked was whether there's too much contrast between the verse and the chorus and i mean in Zanny, it's extreme the the verse is down at minus 16 i think l u f s and then the chorus is up at minus nine or minus eight or something so that's a big difference and yeah. actually funnily enough i was listening to it in the car with my son this afternoon uh and with the road noise and with the, the volume turned so that it didn't actually cause the speakers in the car to flip out because mm-hmm. there was so much bass, when it gets to the really quiet stuff, you virtually couldn't hear her. Um, now, it kind of didn't matter because you knew that it was there and that's the effect that they're going for. But again, I wonder whether maybe if, they'd, if they had just moderated that slightly, there had been a little less contrast, it would have had the same emotional effect but worked even better. Um, I, I was just singing so quietly.
1: All... You kind of like lean into it, and you, I never really pay attention to pop music. But this your video on it caught my attention, and I had to go and look into it. And um, I find her brother very interesting. So yeah, like er- everything about it is so out there, kind of. But it's it's really effective.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and to be honest, the interesting thing I think is. of the things that we've been talking i would say actually that album is is kind of the exception to the rule you know there are albums where you just think if that had been mastered more conservatively it would just have sounded so much better um and in this case i think uh they got away with it um Mm -hmm. which is great because i love the album um and there's nothing i hate more than an album i love musically deeply upsetting me for sonic reasons (laughs) uh seriously irritating so yeah it's it's a it's a really interesting example and if anybody is uh curious then you know head over take a look at the the youtube video and see what you think as well so there we go i think we've well and truly done that topic to death uh john thank you for explaining the null test to us and (laughs) uh mixing the episode as always
1: yep I, i will null test the rest of this episode before you guys hear it excellent
0: if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a rating or review. Uh, we really appreciate it. Tell your friends and head over to themasteringshow.com where you can sign up to the email list to be notified of new episodes as soon as they come out and get all of the show notes delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks to Kaylee Law for letting us use his music for the show and thanks for listening.